From the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Barry. For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case or issue and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story. Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. But as an ethicist, I can help explain why time and time again, people have good reason to think you shouldn't ask them for their time. And if you like what you've been hearing and want to help us out, the best thing you can do is recommend the show to a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll consider doing that. So, Kate, you've got a couple of cases for us today, right? Yeah, I've got two related scenarios for you today. One person is good at their job, but lower in their organization. At least once a week, they have a meeting to check status of projects or hear an announcement. And as they are sitting there worrying about all the things they have to finish by the end of the day, they just keep thinking to themselves, this could just be in an email. The other person is also good at their job, but they're at the top of their organization. They also get requests many times a week to meet with people both inside and outside of their organization to bounce ideas off them and talk things through. They want to be helpful, but they also can't help thinking. I guess it's flattering that they want my opinion, but I could do way more important things with my time. Okay, and so I'm I'm sensing there's a theme here. Yeah. And can I take a guess? Does it have to do with time? It does. I'm sure our listeners have been in in both of these situations, right? Where they feel like they're sort of pressed into lots and lots of meetings or lots and lots of asks on their time. And, you know, they they don't have as much clout. And so they feel like they just have to say yes. And I can imagine there's also people who have a lot of flexibility with their time, but they feel like a lot is being asked of them for that time, right? Right. Sort of wherever you are in an organization, people are either telling you or asking you, to spend your time doing something where you feel like you're not in control of it or that you can use the time better. I think people get pretty resentful when they have to do things with their time that they think they could use better a different way. This almost certainly seems true. In the spirit of, are there any hidden moral dilemmas lurking here? Or, you know, the the sort of the worst moral dilemma to be in uh, is the one that you don't know you're in, as we've said often in previous episodes. I think both of these scenarios are scenarios in which what's happening to the person might seem pretty innocuous, right? Like, big deal. I want you to meet with me once a week. We work in an office setting. Like, that's just what we do, right? So it's sort of like, why are you complaining? But where the person making the meeting request or scheduling the meetings or insisting on the meetings might actually be in some territory where they're in a moral dispute with this person and they don't realize it. Same thing for the people who are asking that person, you know, for five minutes of their time or can I pick your brain, right? That might sound flattering and you might think, oh, they're going to like the fact that I'm seeking them out for their opinion. But you also might be in kind of a, a moral dispute with this person and not quite realize it. And I think the central question here is roughly like, is there any reason to think that we need to be more judicious when we request time from people, either meeting scheduling or asking to pick their brain. And and in fact, I think we could raise an interesting moral puzzle 
when it comes to asking people for their time. If we think about it analogously to asking people for other kinds of things. Uh, yeah, like what kind of other things? I'm going to give an anecdote. When I was a student, one of my favorite poets was coming to campus. And I was asked, do I want to pick him up from the airport? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. I get two hours in the car with this poet. And I'm driving in the car with him. And we're talking about all sorts of stuff. I'm asking him about poems that he's written. I'm asking him, you know, all kinds of stuff. And the funny thing about this story is I don't remember anything about that car ride, like the conversation, except one thing that has always stuck with me. We were, we were talking about a poem of his that was about time. And it was a long, drawn-out reflection on time. And, and he told me it was more about the value of time. He was telling me about some study that sort of inspired him on this poem or that he encountered while writing this poem. He said, they asked people, would you rather have more money or more time? And he said, almost everyone says they'd rather have more time. So that, that's the thing that he said to me that sort of stuck with me and kind of haunts me to this day in, in a good way. I think, it's, I think it's useful to think about that because now, now I can do the, the comparison or the mental exercise. So suppose we accept that actually people value their time more than their money. And I, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Time is a finite resource. Once you give some of it up, you're not getting it back. And so here's the, here's the thought experiment. It would be pretty weird to just go up to someone and say, hey, can I borrow 150 bucks? Or, or, or can I have 150 bucks? We should be hesitant about that, right? We should really think carefully, like, do I really think that I can ask this person for that money? Blah, 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 blah. There's not many people that I would ask $150 of. But we don't feel as hesitant to ask for like an hour or two of someone's time. We schedule meetings. We ask to go to lunch and pick your brain, that kind of stuff. And we're, 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 we seem to be less hesitant to, to do that kind of a thing. But why? And to your point, you could ostensibly give back $150 that you borrowed, but there is no way to repay an hour or two of someone's time. Exactly. Right. I mean, you, you know, when we say, hey, can I borrow an hour of your time? Like you're not borrowing it. You can't give it back like you could give one hundred dollars back. And if you did give them an hour back, like you giving them an hour of your time, it just it doesn't translate. And so I, I think there's something to the idea here that maybe we should think of time as a pretty precious resource. And if we do think of it as a precious resource, does that have implications for how we operate in the workplace or not? Yeah, that gets complicated because especially someone at sort of the near the bottom of the ladder, I could imagine their boss saying, well, I'm trading you. I give you money. And so I get your time. And to some extent that is true. But I wonder if that doesn't recognize that it's not exactly a fair trade, that even so the time might be more valuable. Right, exactly. The, a, the time might be more valuable. B, in a sense, you're paying for the time. But in another sense, what you're paying for is the completion of a certain task or the achievement of a certain set of goals. And every ask on the time, all that sort of stuff, the, any interruption, any can I pick your brain, what, you know, any extra meeting, you're still taking away from the time they are given 
to complete the thing in question, right? Like if they, if in their mind, this is getting in the way of doing what you paid them to do, in a sense, you're getting something that you didn't pay for. You're, you're paying them to do a job that you are now, you are now giving them less time to do, right? Right. Here, here's another story that I think can kind of help us appreciate this, this kind of a point. When my nieces and nephews or, you know, my parents or in-laws, when, whenever they have birthdays, we often will say to the kids like, hey, you know, what would be a really nice thing is if you went and made them a nice birthday card. That'd be really sweet. That'd be a nice gift for them. The most recent time I did this, and in fact, this may have actually inspired this episode. It was my nephew's birthday. And we said to my sons, why, why don't you go make him a nice a nice card. And my youngest son raised a good point. He's like, look, dad, when we make birthday cards, aren't we just telling them that we don't want to spend any money on them? And doesn't that send a bad signal? Why don't we just go out and buy them a card instead? And I was like, no, that's a, that's a good point. You might signal to them that like, you don't want to spend money on them. But actually, I think when you make someone a present, you actually might signal that you care deeply because to make a present takes time. I said, you yourself didn't like the idea of doing it and wanted to go buy a card instead because you value your time so much, right? Um, You wanted that time to do something else. And so the actual intentionally taking time out of your day to do something nice for someone, in, in many ways, that that's one of the greatest ways to show that you care, right? Because our time is so valuable. And I think handwritten thank you notes are like this, right? I could have a stock thank you note on my computer that I just print out, put in a printed envelope and send out every time I want to send a thank you note. But that, isn't that intuitive? That's a kind of cold kind of thank you. It it almost doesn't feel as much like a thank you. And I think part of the reason we think that doesn't feel as nice or as warm as a handwritten thank you note is handwritten thank you notes take time, right? I mean, this person set aside the time just for me uh, to express their gratitude. And, And I think it's a greater show of gratitude if it took you a little bit more time. So I think there's lots of practices that we engage in and intuitions that we have uh, in ordinary everyday life that sort of deep down, I think we understand that time is really, really valuable. And I think that's a very easy thing to get away from in a work environment. And I don't know why that is, but it does seem that way. Yeah. Well, that at least for the person at the bottom, it may be the compensation thing. But then my question for you is, what about the person at the top who's being asked for their input with no compensatory aspect? Like if someone, maybe even someone outside of your organization who absolutely does not pay you, right? is like, oh, I'd really love to bounce some ideas off you. Maybe they flatter you or there's like a lot of deference towards your expertise. But how do we explain that dynamic? And like, is it any different for the person at the bottom than it is at the top when there isn't the implication that, oh, I have paid for your time. This is happening free ostensibly, right? In the workplace setting, I feel like it's just kind of a, an unchallenged uh, assumption about the value of time, which is sort of the higher up in an organization you are, quote unquote, 
the more valuable that person's time is and the more that there's an expectation that everybody else needs to be sensitive to that. I mean, I've heard people say, look, my time is more valuable than this, right? Like I, I could be doing other things with my time, like people, people high up. I think there's reason to be worried about that assumption. So for one, if you're in a high level in the organization and you're thinking to yourself, my time is more valuable than this, than these, all these little asks I'm getting for my time. If you're high up in an organization, uh, it might be true that your time is more valuable, but I'm not sure it points to the conclusion that you're thinking, which is, so these people should leave me alone. It's no, my time is more valuable and they're paying me for it. They're paying me a lot for it. And so I should probably be more giving of my time. This kind of thing that I'm pushing here, it's sort of baked into our labor laws. You know, there's this idea that if you're receiving a low wage in an organization and you're going to work hourly and the organizations have to track your hours. And then if they make you work for more than certain allotted hours, then they have to pay you more money for that time. And that whole hourly wage stuff is built in as a protection. But there reaches a certain point where if an organization is willing to pay you more than just a low wage per hour, there's a kind of threshold at which point they are allowed to no longer track your hours and they're allowed to make you work more than 40 hours a week and not necessarily have to pay you more for it, right? The idea is like they've hit a threshold where they're allowed to ask a lot of your time. Right. Now, as an aside, I want to say one thing. I don't think we've drawn that line on salary like far enough. Like I think the tipping point needs to be higher or the threshold needs to be higher. It's a pretty low salary, I think, to get you into that bracket where they're allowed to not pay you overtime. So I'm not, I'm not defending where we currently draw the line in our labor laws. The only point I want to make is that that is the assumption baked into our labor laws. The moral assumption is at some point you can be paid so much for your time that an organization can expect you to give a whole lot of it. Does that make sense? Yes. I think two assumptions are very tempting in the workplace. One, that in general, the higher up in an organization you are, the more valuable your time is and the more likely it might be to be inappropriate for someone lower in the organization to ask for it. That's one assumption. The other assumption is if you work for that person, the person who's higher up, they're allowed to ask you for the, your time whenever they want, right? Because their time is more valuable. They get to ask of your time whenever they want. Those are sort of the two assumptions. What I want to push is the, the reverse might be true, that actually there might be a case to be made that you should be more sensitive to time requests to people who are lower wage workers, and that if you're the higher up you are, actually the more giving of your time you should be. But I do think there's a strong case to be made that those assumptions, those two assumptions are not only false, but that the reverse might be true. So is this question that we're talking about 
a purely financial question or is it about like drawing boundaries and sort of knowing, oh, that this is something that, that flows up rather than down? Is it an efficiency question that like people know best how to spend their time? Or where is the ethical question here, do you think? I think there's a few ethical questions here. One is just a general invitation to reflect on the value of a person's time. And once you've reflected on the value of a person's time and thinking about that, like how weird it would be to ask somebody for money, ask yourself, why isn't it as weird to ask for their time? What I'm encouraging is I think that thought experiment gives us reason to be more judicious in asking for someone's time. Well, is there harm in asking? I mean, we're talking about someone at the top whom you respect and you really do want their opinion. Is there that much harm in asking? Like they can always say no, right? That's a really good response to this, right? Like, Andy, what, what are you obsessing over this for? If, you, if someone asks for your time, just say no, if you don't want to give that time. I think there's a couple of things in here that why I think there's still something that should worry us or we should at least pause and reflect and still be judicious. There are lots of circumstances I've, I have found myself in that are sort of in this pattern that you've just identified, where it's sort of like, I know it's a burden on them. I know they would be totally okay with doing it if I asked. But for that very reason, I do not ask. Does that make sense? Can you think, have you been in scenarios like that where you're like, I know they would do the thing, but I know that I know it'd be really going out of their way. And so I just don't want to ask them. Yeah, in, in friendships, I think especially that you know that someone cares for you enough that even if it was a difficulty or even if it was sort of a burden, they would do it for you. But that's why you don't ask because you know that they'll feel like they have to say yes, that it's, that it's obligatory. And I think this analogy probably works in the workplace too because one, there's the money, but the feeling like, well, I guess I have to say yes because this is tied to my paycheck. Also, if you are looking for promotion or if you're looking to um, seem like a team player, there are lots of things that would put that pressure on you. And in fact, the pressure might be there, but you'd resent it or, or you'd feel less comfortable with that pressure because hopefully in a friendship, it's reciprocal in a way that it probably is not at work. Exactly. And this is why when people ask favors or favors of time, you know, for people who report to them, and you're like, hey, is it, is it cool if I have five minutes of your time, right? Like th those questions aren't always going to be, you know, genuinely free, autonomous, you know, choices. A lot's going to depend on what your culture is. I mean, if you're making it very clear to your employees, like, look, you definitely say no if this is something you can't do. Like I can figure this out if you can't make it to this meeting. You know, you've got to really... I think bend over backwards to have a culture where people feel like they're really genuinely free to say no. And if you don't have a culture like that, those aren't legitimate, genuinely free asks, I think. How would someone create a workplace where people feel okay saying no to asks on their time or where people would train themselves to not make asks that are maybe, as we're learning through this episode, a little less appropriate than they realized? Those are both uh, really good questions. And there are things that I've actually been thinking a lot about recently, so I'm going to get a little vulnerable and confessional here. I think this is something that I'm pretty bad at. Before COVID, popping in the office like, hey, got a second kind of thing, like because I just like to talk to people and I like to bounce ideas off people. 
there's even a kind of running joke that like when Andy says, got a second, or when Andy says, I have an idea, it's like run. And you know, that that's sort of the joke to me in the office. But as an aside, when, when the people who work for you make jokes about your behavior, pay very close attention. The things that people tease you about are probably things they want you to work on. And so that, that was sort of like my signal, like I'm doing this a little too much, right? So there are a few things. One is actually one of my colleagues at the Prindle Institute, Christian Weishart, who is host of the excellent podcast, Examining Ethics. You should check it out. She introduced me to a book by this guy, Cal Newport, called A World Without Email. It's fantastic. One of many good insights in the book is that part of the problem with email is that there's this constant expectation to engage in what he calls asynchronous communication. And there's also this expectation that people are supposed to respond to this stuff pretty quickly. And so what's that, what that has done, it's created a culture where we check our email like every few minutes. And there was some, some statistic in the book that like the average person checks their email like 147 times a day or something absurd. Like it's an absurdly high number. And he, you know, calculates the cost of that, that each time someone interrupts their workflow to engage in checking email, there's a significant productivity cost because you're not as focused and you have less periods of really, really focused work. So it's a huge hit to productivity, this, this culture of constantly checking email. Now, his solution to that is to basically schedule that unstructured communication time, right? So schedule, it's like you, you have office hours, basically. And when you have office hours, the idea is everybody knows when it's not office hours, you're going to have your door shut. You're going to not be responsive to email or Slack or whatever your internal communication service is. And then that that hour of office hours or however long it is, that's when interruptions are okay. That, you know, that kind of thing. That's just another good lesson on the value of time, like what he did with all those studies because the constant interruptions. But what it means in practice is take someone like me who has a kind of habit of like, knocking on people's doors and be like, hey, got a second? Got a second to chat about something? If you're like that, if you're a supervisor who's like that, you need to really, really think hard about that practice. And I, I know that like when I, and we've been out of the office for over a year now because of COVID, but when we feel like we're ready to be back to normal in, in the office, I, I know that I've got to check that behavior. Right. I, I can't just constantly be knocking on people's doors. And it's it's hard for me because I'm a, I'm a social person and you, you sort of you sort of work yourself up into thinking, well, if I don't do this, then they're going to think I don't care about them. They're, they're going to think I don't, you know, like I, I want them to know that I'm here and I'm available. And you've just got to be very judicious, limit it. Right. Do, do it. Do it once. Maybe maybe do it toward the end of the day as a kind of check in kind of thing. But just be more intentional about those kinds of interruptions. That's one thing is being judicious about those kinds of interruptions. Hey, got a second. Another is when it comes to scheduling meetings, there are just so many articles out there about how to run efficient meetings, what's the right number of meetings, all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to give any specific bit of advice, but the more general bit is like, if you aren't being intentional about 
how many meetings are necessary, what meetings are necessary. If, and if you aren't constantly sort of assessing like the meeting culture of your team or group, then there's a good chance you're a time vampire and you don't realize it. Yeah, and it sort of goes back to the the point you made earlier about imagining how your friend will take the ask. You may be comfortable with a certain kind of meeting or length of meeting or frequency of meeting, but maybe imagining how someone who is not you feels about those things and how they must respond to those. You may like a really social meeting that goes on for four hours and other people may be wishing that they could jump out a window. That's a really good point. Just keeping in mind that just because people agree to the meeting, it may be one of those situations where the ask wasn't a free one and they're just sort of stuck and they have they feel like they have to say yes. So being intentional about the conditions that you're in under which the meeting was even proposed or requested, are people saying yes just because they feel like they have to? So there's there's one more, I think, I, I think important thing to be thinking about when you're thinking about making asks of people's time is be mindful of when you're asking for way more time than you realize. So this is something else that I had to work on and I think I still have to work on quite a bit is I am not as good as I used to think I was at gauging how much time something takes. This is another thing that I get teased about. I'm like, it'll be easy, right? I'll, I'll say something like that. Ah, oh, this will be easy. This shouldn't take any time at all. And then I ask for, you know, help on something. And it's like, I, f- I think one time someone was like, you just need to stop saying it'll be easy because you're wrong about that a lot. Well, it sounds like a compliment and your confidence in your staff. That's right. That's right. That's a really good point. I think that's, I, that's another one of those things where it feels like I'm saying the good thing. It'll be easy. I'm expressing confidence in your ability. I think you could knock this out in five minutes, right? Yeah, it's just that I've, a lot of situations where I was just wrong about that. And, you know, you might think, well, what's the big deal, right? Like what you're really asking for when you ask for that thing that you say, it'll be easy and you're wrong about it. One, they still are going to feel like they need to deliver on this thing you want, especially since you said it's going to be easy. They don't want to admit to you that it's hard. It's like, why does he think this is easy? Why does he think this is quick? It's going to take me three hours. Should it take me three minutes? Like, what am I doing something wrong? Like, you're going to just, you're going to invite a lot of negative inner thoughts. Sure. It's embarrassing to be like, I think I'm going to miss this deadline that he said would be easy. But the other thing is related to this question of time. You're asking for an enormous amount of time and you don't even realize it. And if we're right about the value of time, you're sort of doing two things. One, you're asking for a lot of it. And two, if time's so valuable, you haven't been judicious and thoughtful about how much time you're actually asking of someone. Yeah, I don't want to be too hard on you, but it sort of undersells. You're saying, oh, I'm only going to need 50 cents and you're actually taking $50. So yeah, so I think that's another thing just to keep in mind is that there are ways in which we ask for people's time and we don't even realize it. And it could very well be just our own poor judgment about how much time something takes and how valuable that time might be to the other person. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Berry. 
If you have a dilemma or tension that you're dealing with in the workplace, email me at katherineberry@depa.edu, and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air. I really hope you take Kate up on that. I also hope you can take some of what we discussed here and get it to work. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstitute.org/getethicstowork. That's all one word: get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is still the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePaul alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.